This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. You're listening to title music from Adidas Championship Football. Released in 1990, composed by Matthew Cannon. What's up, BG Maniacs? Welcome to another episode of BG Mania, a video game music podcast. I, of course, am your host, Brian, and joining me on the show this week, he is the host of Very Good Music, a VGM podcast monthly. It's Bedroth. Welcome back to the show, Bedroth. Thanks very much for having me, man. Excited to be back. It is still monthly, right? Nothing's changed since since last yeah, we talked. Yeah, that's still the plan. Monthly and may- maybe a surprise second episode for, for the month if I have time. <laughs> <laughs> um, we we may uh, while we were recording our most recent episode, Chukapau reminded me that we're coming up on our two year anniversary at the end of February. So I may put something together for that. I don't know. I don't, it's you know so, sounds like it might be time for a two year anniversary. No, I don't know. I don't know. We did one. <laughs> I know. We I remember. One. We did one. Yeah, we did one. I think I might be saving year. up for. I think later this year we're going to hit our hundredth episode. So I think I might. Oh, there you go. Save up for that one. (laughs) That's a good one, too. That's a good one, too. Uh, Real quick, if you'd be so kind, head on over to Apple Podcast or whatever app that you've chosen to listen to us on and drop us a quick rating or interview on there if you'd be so kind. I already said that, but uh, Bedroth, I will say as we we sit down to do this episode, I smoked a lot before we hit record. (laughs) So I may repeat myself a few times here, and apologies about that. But it does help us out in terms of our visibility and search results so that BG Mania continues to grow. And thank you all so much 
for the warm reception back with Persona 5 Strikers two weeks ago. The numbers were really strong for that episode for the debut after uh, a little bit of a brief hiatus, so I was pleased to see that, and I, I saw people talking about the episode, and it was nice. So uh, Yeah, that it was, was really nice one. to see. Yeah, that was a fun one. That was a good episode. I enjoyed putting that one together. Uh, also, remember, we are on Patreon now, uh, patreon.com forward slash RPG era. You can head on over there, check out our tiers, see what we're doing, and if you feel inclined, you can toss us a couple dollars each month. It really does go a long way. But if not, just listening, that's awesome, too. It really is. Special toss thanks. Toss to your podcaster. To, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, special thanks to current executive producers, Zenku and Jexx. Those are two still executive. We did have Seb for a bit, and then we hired him, then he'd stopped Yes. <laughs> yep. We're supposed <laughs> to pay at him at this point. Yeah, we're supposed <laughs> to pay him at this point. And that's never going to happen. He knows that. Yeah, I was going to ask about that check that you said was in the yeah, mail, but, you know, I, yeah, I decided to stop you know, bugging you about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, all I do is false promises, man. That's all I'm full of. <laughs> false promises and weed smoke. There you go. That's, that's pretty much it, man. Every time I exhale, it feels like smoke comes out of my lungs at this point. Can't even breathe normally anymore. Well, you know, some of the some of the songs that we're listening to tonight might might not. Uh, I know. Might, yeah, might, it might not hurt to, to have a little tokage beforehand. Um, I know. I I <laughs> came prepared. Different flavor prepared, for sure. Absolutely. And uh, I'm really excited to do today's episode with you, Bedroth. We are focusing on music of the ZX Spectrum, which is coming up on its 40th anniversary in roughly two months yeah like a April little 23rd. over two months a little over two months yeah that's right yeah. they were the uh, the zx spectrum as sub would probably call it <laughs> yes 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 i was gonna say this is a primarily european british console there for a majority of its lifespan you know the u.s did get a version in 83 and we did have several versions after that but it was much more popular over there than it was here for sure. Yeah, and like a lot of early consoles, this one, the, the Commodore, the PC-88, the, it was marketed more as a computer and less as like a gaming device or console. I think that, that that terminology started to get more popular with the NES and then especially when the Genesis and the SNES came onto the market. Um, is when I think we start seeing them referred to as consoles, but uh, essentially that's what they were. They, they were gaming machines, and um, uh, first and foremost, and anything else that they did was kind of secondary by this time, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So our introduction to the ZX Spectrum on today's episode was your first track that you prepared for us, and, and what was that? That was the title theme to the Spectrum version of Adidas Championship Football, uh, which was composed by Matthew Cannon. Such a good track, man. Yeah, it was nice I and freaking, nice and bouncy, upbeat, it. and uh, just a really just a really positive way, I think, to come into the show. And um, this was not early Spectrum music. The Spectrum, I think, had a pretty long lifespan. Um, yes, like 10, 11 years, something like that. And this was near the, I guess, maybe the like the early middle part of that. This is from 1990. And, okay, um, I think it was discontinued in 92. Oh, okay, gotcha. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. 92, it was early, 92. So, so this yeah. was near the end of its run. Um, but but, uh, but Cannon um, had just gotten his first job at Ocean a couple of years before. And if um, BGMPF.com, the Video Game Music Preservation Foundation, if their info is correct, he was 17 when this game came out. So, 
which is so crazy, man. Yeah. So like, crazy. Still in high school. Like, mm-hmm. that is nuts. That is absolutely nuts. And it's so good, like, you know, for video game music back in, back then on the Spectrum, which isn't like a super impressive piece of hardware when it comes to what it was capable of in terms of like graphics and music but you see the the technique and the skill of the composers and you get special stuff like this that's um there, and there's not a whole lot else that i see that uh, the canon composed he did work on the Game Boy, the NES, and the SNES, but I think most of his stuff was PAL exclusive. Um, I see Bart and the Beanstalk okay. for the Game Boy. I see um, uh, Parasol Stars, which I think is the third Bubble Bobble game. You've got Bubble Bobble, you've got Rainbow Islands, and you've got Parasol Stars. Uh, for the NES, which did not come out in the States. And then um, he says that he wrote the title music for Ken Griffey Jr. uh, Presents Major League Baseball for the SNES, which a lot of people know that soundtrack as um, a Tim and Jeff Fallen joint. So, yeah. uh, So, yeah, um, didn't do a whole lot. And he left left gaming in 96 to focus on his own musical studies so that's where we kind of lose track of him but I'm glad he glad he left us this because like i said like you said this was a really really cool track playing on yeah really fun really bouncy and uh as you mentioned a good way to kick off the episode specifically because it is also football since it was a british yes. system <laughs> <anyway. laughs> so i was looking at the um the, the sound chip that was in the ZX Spectrum, the AY38910 sound chip. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to see the other like cabinets and games that used the same sound chip around that time that it was in for the Spectrum. So that was the same one that Dragon Slayer used in arcades as well. Oh, cool. And Bomb Jack, too. Actually, there were several. So that, that would have been... Gotcha. Okay, yeah. And I think that... um. I saw some comparison. I reached out to a couple of my um, podcasting friends from across the pond, uh, Michael Bridgewater of Forever Sound Version and Lee Tyrrell of The Sound Test, uh, to ask them about the about their experience with the Specky, as they call it. Um, and uh, Michael is more well-known in the um, Commodore 64 demo scene, which famously has the SID chip. And um, uh, he says, and I think from what I saw online in my limited research, um, the popular opinion is that the SID chip was uh, superior to um, the AY, but this one, as you were saying, still definitely got around and it was no slouch in the music department. Yeah, it was impressive to see that it was used in so many different things. It was actually used in the, uh, the Atari ST as well. Um, if I'm looking at it right, I think all but two of our tracks um, were were composed with the AY chip in mind. Um, yes, I believe so. And I not noticed just that as the, well. Not just the beeper, which was on the very, very first version of the Spectrum. The AY actually was uh, added to it on an upgrade to 128K, um, sort of the second version of the, the Spectrum. The Spectrum OLED, if you will. <laughs> and it's definitely better sounding, which I think is, yes. is why we focused on it so much. <laughs> right. Definitely so. Yeah, absolutely. So... Uh, all right, man. Well, we will be chatting about the Specky all throughout the episode, uh, but let's go ahead and jump to another block of music here. So we're going to kick things off since you opened the show. Uh, we're going to start with a block of three that I chose. So we've got three coming up. We'll listen to these. Bedroth and I will be right back right after that.
you're listening to title and in-game music from Cybernoid, released in 1987, composed by J. Dave Rogers. listening to Prince of the Yolk Folk from Dizzy, released June 1987, composed by Alistair Brimble.
You're listening to title music from Thundercats, released October 1987, composed by Rob Hubbard.
coming back in. We are talking about the title and in-game music from Cybernoid. This actually released sometime in 1987. That's all I was able to find on this one. Um, Cybernoid the Fighting Machine, I guess is the full name of this game. This is actually composed by J. Dave Rogers. And you know what? I love the sound of this particular track. It is freaking cool, man. Yeah, it really was. A lot of fun. Nice and uh, um, just... <clears throat> I really like the panning on this one, I think. Um, the, the use of the, the stereo. And uh, this was when when the Spectrum added the, uh, the extra sound hardware that came with the 128 upgrade. I think it also added a headphone jack. Before that, all the music came out of the machine itself on um, a little piece of hardware that uh, they called the beeper, which we'll get into. <laughs> we'll get into in a minute, but um, but yeah, this 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 was really cool. So J. Dave Rogers, I had to look him up a little bit because that is not a name that I am familiar with when I was you know picking things out here for this episode, and particular software credited in for the Spectrum alone. He's on there, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 10, 15, 16 games on just the Spectrum. Stormlord. I know I came across that one when doing some research. I don't think we have a Stormlord track on the episode today. I don't think but so, I but I remember. I, I remember listening mm-hmm. to it. Yep. Yeah, I definitely listen. Also, Netherworld. That one I remember coming across as well. Um, so I did listen to several of his compositions, and they were all good. I also did Cybernoid 2, The Revenge. So he did the sequel to Cybernoid. Okay. Good for him. Okay. Yeah, man, there were so many games for this machine, and... There were. I mean, again, it had a 10-year life cycle. Right, Which yeah. was kind of unheard of then. And a lot of these composers uh, stayed around for, for quite a few. I think there are several big names among Spectrum composers, but I think yeah, a lot of those... Yeah, we're about to talk about one, yeah. I think a lot of those, it's because they branched out into other um, systems as well. But then for every one of those, you probably have five or six of these, like like um, the composer for this one who yeah Dave Rogers, on the who I will not remember after this episode I'm I'm, I'm sorry unfortunately yeah I, I mean won't. and Matthew Cannon from our play interact same thing it's like that's, yeah that's pretty much all they did and so you know what I, I might no I'm not gonna remember him either I was gonna say maybe I would remember him because of uh you know Cannon and D <laughs> but and it's not it's not gonna happen it's not yeah. gonna happen yeah it's not gonna happen Uh, But speaking about the big names, we do jump to the middle track there in that episode, or block. This is the entire episode. Uh, Prince of the Yolkfolk from Dizzy. This was done by Alistair Brimble. It released in June 1987. Alistair Brimble, I think, one of the big names for the ZX Spectrum, for sure. Yeah, for the Spectrum, and um, I've seen him, I know, on some other other stuff as well. Absolutely. I mean, dude, he's credit. He's credited still recently. Like he just did work for um, Overload back in 2018. Like he's still okay. out there. Cartoon wow. Network Battle Crashers in 2016 for PS4, Xbox One, 3DS, and Switch. Did not know that he was still so active. That's cool. He's still out there. Yeah, he has it. Well, he, he seems to take a, like a year or two in between releases. Uh, mm-hmm. He did the Driver Syndicate in 2020. That was his last credit. Okay. But yeah, he's still out there, man. Still going strong. And been going strong since 1987. Yeah, and we're actually, we're going to hear from him, I think, a couple more times. And uh, definitely something special for our, our play out that we'll we'll talk about him. Um, Absolutely, so. man. I'm so excited <laughs> about that play out track. I am. Yeah, Technically cheating a little bit, but man, I had bit, to. That's okay. It's I, I had to. I had to. And it's one of my picks. So yep. I had to. Absolutely had to. <laughs> this game 
looks interesting. Uh, you mentioned that you you had never played anything on the Spectrum. I have not yeah. either. I don't I, I'm think really not familiar with anything on the Spectrum in terms of gameplay. Obviously, I've done some research. I've seen games on it, whether YouTube or um, well, mostly yeah, YouTube. I don't I, think I've sure ever seen anyone play the Spectrum I, on Twitch. <laughs> I, I, I don't think it had a lot of market share here in the States. I think that really the only computer-ish type system that did was the Atari. Um, and the, the Commodore 64 a little bit and the Amiga, but um, the Atari was really probably the closest thing. When you think of something that could be on the spectrum, think about like the Atari 2600. My elementary and, school um, had an Atari. Yeah. And so the stuff that you would play in computer lab in elementary school, if you grew up around the same time that me and Brian did, then yeah, that's that's kind of spectrum level stuff. And we had uh, the Atari and the early Apple in that computer lab. <laughs> yep, that's right. Oregon Trail, that kind of thing. Yeah, this, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, th this it looks really interesting. Lemmings um, as well. Yep, for sure, for sure. Dizzy, it looks like it's an anthropomorphic egg who is apparently the prince of the Yolk folk. <laughs> and that's about all I know. <laughs> and you mentioned while listening to it, and obviously easy to pick up on, but I love the... Um, like the medieval kind of bounciness to it that it has as yeah, well. Yeah, the, the melody here is really good. Um, Brimble is really great at those, like, I think his music is the happiest sounding on the spectrum. I've actually yes. got something by him coming up soon as well. So, and it's got that same sort of flavor to it. I'm excited to talk about that and get to it. And, and what's nice is I don't think for, for this episode, because we kind of narrowed things down the day we're recording it actually um <laughs> i'm not listened to all of yours yet and you've not listened to all of mine yet that's right and, and that was a particular pleasure for you as we move to the last track there in my block the yes. title music from thundercats you had not got to hear that before i that had released not and man in, it was good <laughs> uh, yeah it was amazing released in october 1987 composed by rob hubbard and man, I think this might be my favorite track that I submitted for this episode today. This is incredible. This is something special. And Rob Hubbard, another big name. I don't know how how um, active he is anymore, but a lot of these guys, Rob Hubbard and we'll hear about later, Alberto Gonzalez, were uh, really big on the Game Boy. Man. And yeah. um, Jonathan Dunn as well, another another big name in the, um, in the Spectrum scene. Uh, and a lot of this music sounds similar to me uh, to music from the Game Boy that I really got familiar with because of guys like Gonzalez. And it definitely has that Western flair to it. Um, all of our, all these composers, of course, are British or European. And so you're, you have a really different flavor than you would have had on something like the PC-88, uh, which was a Japanese computer. So, um, you know, it had that sort of similar sound that you would get in the, in the early NES music. And I really like it. I like this kind of stuff. So... Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I looked, Rob Hubbard, not really that active anymore. Uh, he did do something for the 2014 documentary From Bedrooms to Billions uh, oh, yeah. by, by British filmmakers Anthony and Nicola Caulfield that, mm -hmm. you know, talks about the British video game industry from 1979 to present day. So he was involved with that. Yeah, I talked about that back on my episode about Ben Daglish with uh, with Lee. Um, oh, nice. He was he was also yeah, involved on Bedroom Civilians, mm -hmm. and he and Hubbard worked together a lot. So Hubbard came up a couple times on that episode. Really cool. Really cool. <laughs> it's funny. Lee actually Lee inter um, interviewed both Hubbard and Daglish on the sound test uh, several years ago, and he said that Hubbard. Um, complained on his show and also on other ones he listened to to prepare for it. Pretty much any chance he got uh, said that the, the Spectrum was just just not fun to work with. He he did not enjoy working on this machine. But did he did he give any specifics as to why? Um, he he didn't. He just uh, 
I think if you look up any Rob Hubbard interviews, um, uh, Lee just said that he absolutely hated it and always disses it in, in his interviews. So, I mean, go check out the one with the sound test, uh, on the sound test that Lee interviewed him with, and I know it's going to come up there. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, I know that even Tim Fallon, when he worked on it, I mean, this, this is normal for Tim Fallon, but he actually developed additional sound hardware, like proprietary sound hardware, so that he could make the music sound the way he wanted to and not just be stuck with what, what the Spectrum had. So maybe it which had to do with the limitations. Me. Which yeah. does not surprise me. Right. <laughs> I think it was also Hubbard was used to working on the C64, which again, the SID chip is apparently really easy to work with and capable of more and so uh, so yeah um maybe that's what it was that it just wasn't as, as wasn't as easy to work with and couldn't do as much but i, I tell you man he really makes it sing on this one though <laughs> absolutely man and i am so interested in this particular game you know i i did watch gameplay of it after listening to that track it doesn't look that amazing but I was a Thundercats fan. Like, I like yeah. the show. Yeah. <laughs> it was right in our wheelhouse. Right, Absolutely right it was. Right around that time. The first one ran 85 to 89. So mm-hmm. um, I was born in 86. You're obviously a little bit older than I am. A little bit, but, yeah. Um, so you probably remember it distinctly, but um, I didn't catch it until it was reruns only. But mm-hmm. it was still a freaking show that I absolutely loved. So coming across this track, I was glad that it was so good because I was I wanted to include it. If it would have sucked, then I would have been like a Frank pick, but you know I didn't want to have to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, no Rugrats stuff going on no, here. This was no, this was truly no. a cool piece of music and so long, and it doesn't loop. It just yeah, four minutes and twenty seconds the almost music. the perfect number. Four twenty, the perfect number almost. It was four <laughs> minutes and nineteen seconds, one nice. second off. And no loops. <laughs> it's incredible. Absolutely incredible for, for that time period. It's it's so cool. It's so freaking cool. Yeah, very, very cool. Um, okay, but let's jump to another block of tracks here. We have three coming up that you submitted. I'm excited to listen to these fully here, so let's do that. And then you and I will be back to talk about Bernard. Wow, I can't talk. You and I will be right back to talk about the tracks as long as I can speak right <laughs> after this. <laughs> You're listening to title music from Grell and Fella, released 1992, composed by Alistair Brimble.
You're listening to title music from Beyond the Ice Palace, released in 1988, composed by David Whitaker. Thank you. 
You're listening to title music from Kronos, released in 1987, composed by Tim Fallon. Welcome back, everyone. That was another trio of classic Spectrum tunes. First of all, another another Bremble tune. Uh, we'll talk about yeah, Rel and Fella like title music. I yeah. like that, man. As, as talked about, he is probably, as you mentioned, like the happiest sounding <laughs> composer for, for Spectrum music. And you really get that here. Yeah. And I love the artwork of this particular game. Is this it like looks a fairy? really fun. Yeah, this yeah, like a fairy, like a fairy and some goblins yeah, or something. Man. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. E- Another eating, kind of fantasy aesthetic. Berries, maybe. I don't maybe. know if they're eating berries or not. But <laughs> one's got a fork. Yep. <laughs> I don't know though. It, it just looks like a fun, happy little tune. Um, and uh, now that you're talking about them eating berries, it reminds me a little of the gummy bears on uh, on Disney way back in the day. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. It looks like a, a side-scrolling platforming-ish 
type of game, potentially? Yeah, 2D side-scrolling platformer. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. And you said I'm this looking, was um, I'm later, looking at screenshots here. Yeah, this a was a game? 1992 release, so okay. this was the yeah. final year of the Spectrum here. Gotcha. So it's definitely a lot more colorful than some of the early stuff we saw. And um, I think Alistair Brimble had, by this point, mastered what he could do on the Spectrum. So this is a good track to showcase some of that later stuff of the Spectrum. Yeah, that, that's, that kind of thing is really cool. Um, when I did my focuses on composers last, uh, last fall, hearing them like at the beginning of a console and then the end of a console was really really kind of kind of cool um uh we move from from this to another just giant in the spectrum scene who we actually only have one track from but david whitaker is... and what a track though man this might be yes. one of my favorite tracks on the episode it's up there with oh, my thundercats yeah. pick for sure now it's so good and again like you're like the hubbard track the thundercats track it, it goes on for so long but it just keeps changing and adding and building beyond the ice palace title music um and you get that you get that icy feel and it just um the, the the ability to manipulate volume on the spectrum was not easy and so the fact that he was able to like fade out and go up and down was was really really cool um <laughs> the way that lee put it even with the um the <clears throat> um the ay chip added in uh, he says that the Spectrum was really kind of one or two steps away from a birthday card that plays a jingle when you open it. <laughs> um, he, uh, he, basically, <clears throat> so the Spectrum 128, it was uh, the AI 38910, um, um, as you said earlier. It was all simple waveforms, um, no samples. So like the NES was, the SNES was a sample-based system. Um, the NES was waveform based. It had like the two square wave channels, the one triangle wave, and then the noise channel. The spectrum was similar to that, but even even more primitive. Um, the the SID chip was actually above, like more a little more advanced than the NES sound hardware. And the NES, I feel like, is kind of sandwiched in between, but a little bit of a different animal. Um, the, the, the reason the SID chip and the Commodore 64 was considered better is because it had more waveforms available. Um, it had a higher number of them and better ways to combine them. And it had built-in filters that you could apply to them to change the sound, um, which is a lot of what, as we'll talk about in a second, composers like Tim Fallon, when the filters weren't built into the hardware, a lot of composers just kind of added them on. So, um, and volume was not something that was easy to manipulate on any of the waveform-based um, consoles, from what I understand. But the filters on the SID chip, one of the filters you could add was one that could help you manipulate dynamics. See, and this is this is the beautiful thing, and why why everybody should be writing in and thanking thanking me for putting you on the show in Frank's place, <laughs> because never before would would anybody else in my place have ever been able to to do that. No way, Frank. Frank would have never brought that kind of information to an episode. <laughs> Sorry, Frank. I know you're listening. That's I mean, not Frank a Frank. That's not. A, that's not. That's not a Frank tidbit or a tank tidbit or a liner note. Any there? You wouldn't have got that from him. <laughs> well, and, and there are things. Uh, uh, there are things that Frank brought that I, I I could never bring. But I do. Yeah, because it's all uh, stupid uh, shit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I've got a nice little mixed bag of experience. That's what he that I can... specializes in. It's perfect <laughs> i can put enough of it uh, together to, to sound kind of smart no a lot of this really <laughs> comes from uh, i gotta give another shout out to lee t 
material uh, of the sound test and um, of a lot of different things. He, he plays bass in a band. He's a writer. He's got a lot of stuff going on. Um, he was supposed to be on an episode of the show. He was supposed to be on an episode of the show, and we, well, not we, I let that fall through. Um, yeah. Um, and honestly, might still though, happen. might I, still I happen in the future. Some... Maybe. I don't know. Might still happen in the future. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, definitely reach out. Lee still loves BGM. I think he's, he's got a little bit burnt out on it after a while. He had some, some things happen kind of back to back, but he's really leaning into his, uh, his writing at the moment, but he did take some time out of his schedule to, um, mm-hmm. to talk to me about this and give me, give me enough info to make me sound smart. So, um, Perfect. especially when it comes to, to this next two, um, which, what a different sounding piece of music, and you'll tell us why. Yes. So, Tim Fallon um, is a legend in video game music. Uh, I don't have to sell how amazing Tim no, Fallon is. No, we've played a crap ton of his music so, on the yeah. show before. Yeah, he's amazing. And so I felt um, I felt comfortable showcasing a piece of Fallen's that was technologically inferior to everything else on the playlist because I knew that he would still make it sound as good as he could. Um, this next one was the title music from Kronos, a 1987 title from um, the Radial Tubes, or um, that was the developer. The publisher was um, uh, Insight Studios. Talk about that again in a second. Okay. And Kronos is, um, I don't know anything about the game itself at all, but this was from the ZX Spectrum before it had the advancement with the, the AY chip. So this is just the beeper. This is actually, it's not even a speaker, it's just a piece of hardware that can emit different types of chirps on on the system itself. It's one channel, so like again, the NES had three sound channels and then a noise channel. The beeper was one channel um, that could play up to, um, uh, where is it? I've got my notes here. Uh, one channel with 10 octaves. So, of course, anybody who has a piano, an octave is a set of eight notes. Um, and so it could, it could play up to up to 10 octaves. Uh, so a little more than your average piano, but one channel. So one sound at a time on the basic hardware. But, and I don't know the details. I don't think anybody really does because it was a long time ago and it was, it's proprietary, but Fallen developed. So his big brother, um, his big brother, Mark, Mike, I keep calling him Mark, Mike Fallen. The Fallen's are a musical family. Of course, Tim and Jeff composed a lot of stuff together. Mike, their big brother, was the right. one who first got a job at Insight and got them into game development and sound development. Um, and this was, uh, so he got them to Tim the job at Insight, and this was one of his first, um, first games, Kronos. And Tim Fallon was 15 when he composed this. Which is mind-blowing. It is. It's mind-blowing. Not only that, he composed it, I mean, but we, he... We, we were talking about 17 years earlier, and, and right. now we're down to 15. If we get down to 13 later, something's wrong, Bedrock. Something's <laughs> right. wrong. Right, yeah. Um, and he developed some kind of hardware uh, that would enable him to apply filters to this music so that he could play more than just one thing at a time and could add on noise like that static that he is somehow able to manipulate into something that sounds like percussion while he still has something that sounds like a melody going on. Um, I really like the way that Lee put it in our chat. He says, it sounds gnarly as hell, but it's part of the appeal. <laughs> um, it's just, it's... It does. It sounds very raw. It does. Yeah. It sounds very raw. It really is something approaching witchcraft, what he was able to do. Um, I mean, everybody has heard the Silver Surfer tune from the NES and the Pictionary theme from the yeah. NES. This is like that level of 
I don't know how he did it on this console because you should not be able to make it sound like this. And Fallen had some fantastic stuff on the Spectrum, like like really, really, really great stuff. But I wanted to showcase this weird instrument and also showcase what Fallen was able to do with it. It's just, it's, it's really cool. Absolutely. Really cool. Chronos uh, looks like it is a shmup almost, a side-scrolling shooter. You're in control of a spacecraft, and you're just, like, firing bullets at, at stuff as it comes on the screen. Looks kind of fun, actually. Okay. Looks okay, I cool. can hear that. This would have been a game I would have played. Yeah, this would have been a game I would have played, for sure. Very cool. Very cool. No uh, no in-game music. It's all just, you know, the bullets and mock explosions, I guess. But Okay, so this would have been just the title music, then. Yeah, this, this is it's, just it's the title well. music. Yeah, there's nothing in-game here. Yep. Um, cool, very cool. And that is the only track we're going to have that's like that today, I think. Everything else, we're going back to the 128, which yep. had the uh, the better sounding stuff. So, <laughs> really cool. Well, I don't know. Is one of your, do you have another one in your next block? Or are I they all 128 not. as well? Uh, yeah, everything is with the AY chip. So it's from the 128 upgrade. Perfect, yeah. So all mine are as well. Okay, okay. Very cool, very cool. Well, that was a nice little, uh, nice little break and a nice little perfect uh, halfway point to the episode to talk about that. But let's go ahead and jump to another block of three. I'm excited to get to this block. I have some fun ones in this one. These are my next three. We'll talk about these after we listen to them. Uh, enjoy. We'll be right back. You're listening to title music from Wrestling Superstars, released in 1992, composed by Gerard Gourley. This is Kyle, and one day you can be too. Every Friday, I host what is soon to be your favorite podcast, The Media Files. Me and one of my best friends talk about pop culture happening so that you don't look like an uncultured swine during those boring water cooler conversations. Laughs are shared, tears are cried, and sometimes we have really interesting special guests that you might be familiar with. Download The Media Files wherever you download podcasts, and remember, be kind, be honest, and we'll see you later. 
You're listening to title music from The Real Ghostbusters, released in 1989, composed by John May or John White. You're listening to title music from Nemesis the Warlock, released in 1987, composed by Rob Hubbard.
Coming back in, we are talking about the title music. I think everything is theoretically title music today from wrestling superstars. <laughs> <laughs> Had to get a wrestling track in on here to show some love to the uh, to the industry and also give a plug to Blood and Destroyers and all the wrestling podcasts that uploads every Monday. You should go check it out if you're a fan absolutely. of uh, AEW or wrestling. Absolutely. Myself and Sev, who guest starred on this week's Max Level podcast. Go check that out as well. How about that? Two plugs in one. How about that? My uh, my aunt last year got my dad into um, WWE. Uh, Dad's never really been oh. a big wrestling fan, but she, she got him oh, into it. And wrong, pro- wrong promotion. Last week while I was down, I said, so uh, if you want another night of wrestling at the house, um, you know, you've got TBS. You should check out uh, AEW Dynamite on Wednesdays. <laughs> yes. So um, I think I'm going to get him into it. We'll see. Oh, it's so <laughs> much better. He'll never go back to WWE after he checks one episode of Dynamite out. It's so much better. But um, wrestling superstars here, not not really a good game from <laughs> the quick research that I did on this after finding this particular track in game. Uh, I was glad to find it because I did like the track, right? It's a fun track. Um, it, it's super kind of happy and, and fun. I guess fun is just the best way to describe it. Uh, by a <laughs> yeah. composer that, again, we've not mentioned before on the show and likely never will again, Gerard Gorley. Um, did have a decent amount of credits that I was able to find, but nothing that really stuck out to me that probably we would ever play. Like, it's a bunch of unknown games and smaller titles like Wrestling Superstars, which tried to give off the image that you could play as Hulk Hogan in the game, but it was a poor <laughs> representation, and, and they got law- lawsuits and, you know, sued over it, and it was a disaster. Unfortunate. Poor Codemasters. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, the track is um, track is pretty track cool. is good though. Uh, nice solid, yeah, decent track. Yeah. Nice melody. I like it a lot. It's fun. Unfortunately, the game was not though. That happens <laughs> sometimes. That happens. Happens a lot actually, but is what it is. I also was pleased to find the middle track in that block, the title music from The Real Ghostbusters, which released in 1989. And, you know, Bedroth and I did some extensive research, and apparently people have been doing research for a very long time, trying to figure out who actually did the music for The Real Ghostbusters. But unfortunately, that information has been theoretically lost to time. Uh, we do have two names, two guys responsible for the programming and the development of the game, John May and John White. One of them may have been responsible for just doing the the sound coding here because, as you mentioned while we were listening to it, it theoretically is just the Ray Parker Jr. theme, but there is a bit of originality kind of in the middle as well. Yeah, it's um, it's it's a really cool adaptation, and I don't remember where I've I've heard it before, and I don't even know if it was this version, but uh, there was a podcast a while back that played like different versions of the same tunes on different systems, and of course on any ghostbusters game you're going to hear this and that would be interesting to uh, to hear like how all the different um, systems adapted it but I feel whoever did this one did a pretty cool job i liked it yeah for for spectrum really for 1989 when we really didn't and i don't know how this game played again we have no familiarity with really any of the games but um from what little of what i read it, it played better than just i was gonna say the nes yeah. version sucked <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that was awful. So anything was better than that. At least I would assume so. But yep. we really got this cool sounding version of the of the main theme to Ghostbusters. And uh, I, I dug it a lot. I thought this was really cool. But not as cool as my last track in that block. 
We're going back to Rob Hubbard. We're going back to something lengthy. We got four and a half minutes almost of, of the, the title music from Nemesis the Warlock. This released in 1987. And man, Rob Hubbard just kills it. He just freaking kills it. This is so cool, dark, eerie. I love it, man. It's so cool sounding. Yeah, this really cool. It's uh, it starts out kind of like the first part of that that Ice Palace theme I played by David Whitaker. A little bit, a little bit, the, yep. the darkness, but um, it really just it, it definitely has its own sound. And Hubbard again, just uh, on this system that he apparently didn't like very much, really, really making that sound chip sing. He understood it at least. He hated he it. He did, but he understood it. He knew how to make it <laughs> do what he wanted it to do. So absolutely, and and the game looks kind of rough. I did look up a long play of this one. When I was doing my research, uh, graphically it doesn't look that impressive, and then gameplay-wise, it's it's not super amazing as well. Uh, may have been fun back in the day, right? Because you know limitations and all, and comparing it to stuff now is not fair. But yeah, yeah. I mean, when when we were looking at, uh, it's interesting you say that. Actually, we'll talk about that next. But um, uh, looking at when we were listening to all this music for for the episode, on so many of the YouTube comments for all the ones I listened to, so many people were saying, "Yeah, the music was really the best part. The game is garbage." <laughs> right. And so. I mean, looking back, like. You know, people from our generation that would have played these games for the first time when they were relevant probably didn't think they sucked. They probably, they probably thought they were the most amazing freaking thing in the world because they had never seen anything like this before. Yeah. Now I mean, we've I been spoiled. Like, ski free. <laughs> And uh, with, with with the crazy Yeti and stuff like Number Munchers on the Apple computers, I mean, you know, those were not groundbreaking games, but at the time they blew our minds. Absolutely, like you said. they did. Yeah. So, um, you know, it is tough. It's tough for people that didn't grow up playing these games to go back and play them. Like that's actually why I tend not to go back and play older games that often because we do get spoiled by the modern stuff. Yep. And unless it's a true classic that, like, Link to the Past or something that I know I can go back and play to without any issues, going back and playing something older, it, it, most of the time it just doesn't appeal to me. So I don't do it that mm -hmm. often. It's very rare. Very rare. But I love this track. I absolutely do. Um, and it doesn't loop, again, as we talk about <laughs> with, with some of these. It's so impressive that you get this lengthy four-plus-minute track on, on something like the ZX Spectrum that, that is all originality no looping of anything like that and we, we played a decent amount that had that too like there were some that yeah. looped but we played a decent yeah. amount that didn't yeah which is kind of um, cool most notably the um the hubbard tunes and that david whitaker tune uh, the really long ones and yep. if i'm not mistaken i think that at least one in my next block is gonna is gonna have that as well Ooh, well i'm excited so since you teased it we may as well jump to it let's go ahead and get to that final block on today's episode, where we've been kind of celebrating and looking at the music of the ZX Spectrum as it approaches its 40th anniversary, which is just mind-blowing in general, that, uh, you know, we're, we're starting to approach 40th anniversary for things that we grew up with. Um, <laughs> yep. That really does suck. Yeah. I mean, let's not get too ahead of ourselves. I still haven't celebrated my 40th anniversary yet, so... Not yet. <laughs> this not this yet. is older than us, but you know what? We're getting there. It's going to be later <laughs> this year. There. So. <laughs> we're freaking getting there, man. It's unfortunate. But uh, yeah, you've Time got three tracks here. I am excited to listen to these. Let's check these out and we'll be back to close this episode out right after doing so. You're listening to Desert from Soka Band Perfect, unreleased in 1991. 
composed by Alberto Jose Gonzalez. You're listening to title music from Mystical, released in 1991, composed by Alberto Jose Gonzalez.
You're listening to menu and intro music from The Sword of Iana, released on September 30th, 2017, composed by Alberto Jose Gonzalez. That was my uh, trifecta of tracks by Alberto Jose Gonzalez, also sometimes a mini, a mini composer appreciation block there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Gonzalez is also sometimes credited as Joe McAlby, and uh, he has been in the video game music scene for many, many years. I believe he got started in 1988, somewhere around that time. Um, and when he got started, again, he was 16. <laughs> uh, he's only 49 years old. Um, he was born in 72. He's 10 years older than I am. So um, he uh, got started in 88 um, on the Spectrum. This was one of his first, um, or this was his first system to officially compose for. Um, it was, the, the Spectrum was apparently looking at his, um, his biography here was the, there's a music software application on the ZX Spectrum that was titled Wham! The Music Box. Don't know if it's connected to the band or not. But I was going to say, like, wake was, me up before you go-go type of a thing. <laughs> that was led to him by a friend, and he had, had a good ear for melody, but has never had any formal music training. Uh, but he started to write his own music and then reached out to um, a couple of different designers and developers and got started with Bit Managers. Um, and uh, nope, not bit managers. Uh, got started apparently as kind of an independent agent doing different stuff for different folks in 1988. Um, New Frontier, New Frontier, small Spanish developer New Frontier was his first. Um, and that is actually the developer of the games we're going to be talking about first. Uh, that first track was the desert theme from Sokoban Perfect, one of the first uh, games we've talked about that actually has multiple tracks. <laughs> Which is amazing. Yeah, there's like 10 or so. Yeah, and this track was really cool. I like the way it kind of opened up with that, what I first thought was ocean waves, but then what I guess is supposed to be like maybe the sound of sand blowing in the wind. Mm -hmm. um, really cool track with, with some darkness at the beginning. Uh, and this was never released. It was developed 
for the Spectrum, the Amstrad CPC, and the Amiga. And uh, Gonzalez did the music for, for all of them, but this was, um, it was not actually released. It, it would have come, come out in 1991, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yep. should have came out in 91. And um, the next game, it didn't come out. It is. Uh, I don't know. Did you find, did you see if there was any like gameplay footage or anything? Do you know if it ever got that far? I, tr- I tried looking it up and I, I saw that it was recovered, but all I found were screenshots. Okay. I mean, it looks interesting, but um, I'm, I'm curious as to why the project was abandoned when, I mean, clearly so much work was done on it. It's interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That might merit some digging into. Fortunately, Gonzalez has always been forthright about his work and, you know, open to releasing it, letting people listen to it. So we do still have, have this full soundtrack, at least. Which um, is awesome. Yes. The next game, uh, Mystical, came out in, in 91. And uh, it did actually release and uh, got a cool sort of um, Middle Eastern kind of vibe to it. Um, but still that bouncy sort of Gonzalez, uh, you know, flair that, that you used to on a lot of his Game Boy and uh, Game Boy um, Game Boy Color soundtracks, where I think he really shines. But if you listen to some of that stuff, you you definitely hear, now that you hear some of the stuff he does on the Spectrum, you hear how much his early work on this system affected all of his later work. Uh, but this was really You know cool. what Mystical kind of reminds me of most? Um, because there are like... Looking at the artwork for the game, you know, it's a character holding what appears to be a, a flare of some sort surrounded by these barrels. Yeah. When you watch the game, you're playing a character that kind of resembles, like, Uncle Fester from, ah. um, okay. from the Adams Family, Family. and Fester's yeah. Quest. And he's got a gun, and he's shooting, like, three to five bullets, depending on if you get power-ups or whatever. And that's the shmup aspect of this game. It's literally the game just comes at you and you just keep firing these bullets. But I don't know, interesting artwork because it's got like the upside down pentagrams and stuff on the ground as you go. And I mean, there might be some demonic ties here. I don't know. I'm not quite sure. Maybe that's why it sounds a bit darker. I don't know. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. And you talk about how that reminded you that that um, reminds me that we both heard in that Sokoban Perfect tune a lot of similarities to uh, to early Kirby music. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we didn't mention that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And... Uh, so that was really cool because Kirby's Adventure didn't come out for quite a few years after this. So um, it's cool that Gonzalez already had kind of that sound going. And you mentioned, I think, when it started that it had it sounded a little more Japanese. And it did. It Gonzalez, did. I think, was in the right age group to be influenced by some of the early stuff like Falcom and Yuzo Koshiro specifically. I know he's a Absolutely. fan of Koshiro's. They talk a lot on Twitter, as you know. And um he, uh, he also cites several of the composers we've mentioned, um, Ben Daglish, Tim Fallon, Jonathan Dunn, and David Whitaker as musical influences, along with Chris Hulsbeck, who I don't know if he did any Spectrum work, but I know he was involved in um, like the Commodore 64 scene and things and like that. we've played a so. decent amount of his stuff on the show before. Oh, I, yeah. We've talked yeah. about him often. Yeah. He's another big name in, in the scene. So Gonzalez was inspired by a lot of the same folks that, that we're fans of, and so it's, it's, it's really cool. Absolutely. And, the last track is possibly the coolest find of all. I didn't even realize it until I was doing research on them as we went. Uh, the game is called The Sword of Iana, and uh, this was the, I think it was just a title music, or a menu, menu and intro music from The Sword of Iana. And the track itself, it, it was nice. Um, I would definitely encourage anybody to check out the full soundtrack, which you can find on uh, his SoundCloud, McCalby underscore ZX. And I'm going to mention here, this game came out in 2017, 
which not only is just cool that it's a new Spectrum game from five years ago. I think was this, this is a also project by chance. His, um, I don't know. I don't know if it was kickstarted. Um, I'm going I'm to look now. I'm going to check yeah, that out. Yeah, take a look. This, this came out on September 30th of 2017. It was developed specifically for the, the Spectrum and the MSX2. Uh, despite being released so late and they reached out to Gonzalez and he says that um, he said this was his latest or his first ZX Spectrum track soundtrack since 19 he says 90 it was actually 91 um, and that he thought the last one was mystical it looks like mystical came out around the same time as another game called um, North and South but yeah, around that same time. So it was his first in, um, that would be what, like 14, 24, 24 years. About 24, wow. yeah. Yeah. 24. And this was not a Kickstarter game. He says it wasn't easy to come up with the soundtrack after so long, considering the style, which is very different from what he used to do, because, you know, he had been composing for so long. But uh, in the end, he said he was quite happy with the results and thinks that it fits the game very well. He mentions that the game is free, and I, I sent you a, a link to, um, to that. So anybody can download and uh, check out the game if you're interested. Um, Super cool that they developed it using like the actual limitations and hardware and everything. That's why I was wondering yeah. if it was a Kickstarter project because oftentimes you know you'll see those types of things go on there for funding and yeah. they'll still release them on the actual old hardware. Uh, that does not appear to be the case here. That's really cool. And in the demo scene, which the C64 has a huge demo scene, but Michael Bridgewater said that the Spectrum also has a pretty big demo scene following, especially in Russia. Um, Ooh, and if you okay. look up a lot of the Spectrum demo scene work on YouTube, you'll see a lot of, you know, the Cyrillic characters and stuff. Um, but a, a lot of times for those demos, they'll do kind of like um, a game jam type thing where they'll get together and develop something rudimentary, have a composer come in with some music and a designer come in with some art and then put together basically a demo. And I wonder if this started with something like that, but then they liked what they had so much that they just developed them into a full game, like in their free time, because that's what they like to do. I don't think it's that expensive to develop things for these systems, since they're computer hardware and not proprietary like console hardware. Right. Um, so I wonder if uh, it was just, and maybe that's why it didn't have to get kickstarted, that it just wasn't as expensive. And I don't know for sure, of course, and, and nobody could unless they asked him, but I wonder if Gonzalez even charged them for this or if he just had fun putting, putting together some I was gonna, music. I was going to say, time. how cool, though, for him to, to do that. I know, you know, it was probably a challenge going back to do that, as you mentioned, but cool that he did it just in general. Like, they reached out and he said yes. Like, that's the coolest thing. So and cool. another interesting thing he mentions here he composed a very long soundtrack uh this would have been sokoban but the game wasn't released he doesn't say why but he mentions that he composed that during military service in 1991 so he was that would have been around the time of the gulf war so maybe he was in the spanish military around that time and and still composing music <laughs> which is mind-blowing in general that is, that's so freaking yeah. cool man i would love to do a deep dive on gonzalez sometime if it's not obvious since i you know i played three of his tracks on this episode i, I love gonzalez's work so much and um he's a really really interesting character so. well he is on my list to uh to do a deep dive at some point so 
We will we will definitely get around to it eventually. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> you maybe missed we'll the, actually, you missed uh, the Naoki Kodaka episode <laughs> one. So I did. I did. At least you'll be here for that one. Yeah. Maybe we'll actually get to um get to reach out to him. He's kind of uh, an elusive fellow when it comes to interviews. So yeah, kind of a golden goose, I guess. But yeah, that'd be, be fun. fun. Even even out. just to sit down for like five or ten minutes just to just to gush. That'd be fun, <laughs> especially for you. <laughs> oh yeah, I would. <laughs> Man, that would be so cool. I would geek out. <laughs> oh, man. This is a fun episode. I'm glad we did this. I'm glad we actually spent time over the last two weeks. Like, I mean, you specifically, you had like 100 tracks in our shared playlist together. At, at, I oh, it, wasn't, it was like 50. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, man. I went in there one day and I was like, oh, my God. And I just started scrolling through your list. And I was like, man, this is some good stuff. And I didn't want to like have any overlaps I was like man I gotta find other things now <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I, I didn't even narrow that down I, I think over the last few days at work while I was um, you know just listening to uh, or didn't have anything to do I just popped it on and listened through to the whole list and just kind of wrote down the ones I really liked and that's how I narrowed it down but when I was first looking, I actually looked up the um, the track that you chose as the playout track. I looked up that album, and uh, really, okay, because okay, Lee, okay. I think, actually recommended that I check it out because it would be a good source of some of the biggest tunes on the spectrum. Because that was the guy who put together this collection. That was his goal was to showcase some of the best stuff on the system. And so I went there first and found the original tracks from it. And that's kind of, that just led me down the rabbit hole. And I just kept adding stuff I I heard that I, I liked the first few seconds of. And then they wrote it down. So it was fun. This was, that's a, that's uh, a cool I, way I to do it. Before, cool way I to do before it. I really enjoy exploring sides of this scene that I don't really know as well. And this was the first time in a long time that I really got to dig into something I just had no idea about before. So thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> Absolutely, man. And since you mentioned it, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the closeout track because it is technically different. It is, it is breaking theoretically two rules here. Uh, <laughs> one, we have theoretically played this track before, but we've played a different version of it. But also this isn't just ZX Spectrum music. Yeah, this particular arrangement is not from a video game, so it's... <laughs> right. It was composed initially by Jonathan Dunn, mm -hmm. which I'm glad we did get something on here by Jonathan Dunn. I do yes. love Jonathan Dunn. Absolutely. Um, his work is incredible. Obviously, the, the RoboCop track from the Game Boy version, which we have played before. I mean, still to this day, when I listen to it, I cry. Like, that yeah. track is... It just... It's so emotional. It, it may but... be Dunn's most famous track, and the Game Boy Absolutely. version is the one that everybody knows, for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. But then you have this track here, which exists on the ZX Spectrum version of RoboCop, which by itself is incredible. And it I is. encourage you to go look up the original version without Alistair Brimble's rearrangement to it. I, I encourage you to go check it out because it's beautiful on its own. I actually, after listening to it, to them back to back, I think this may be a hot take for some people. I think the Spectrum version is better than the Game Boy version. It's it's a little faster but I think it the is sound is, is a little bit cleaner. So it maybe is it's just a... It is crisper, yes. Maybe it's just kind of like a Bon Jovi's um, Living on a Prayer and then Prayer 97, where it just like depends on which flavor you want. <laughs> okay, but, okay. I, li I um, like the I like the analogy because I am a Bon Jovi fan mm -hmm. and, and nobody else at RPG era is. Well, well I no, so, I think Dan. Yeah. <laughs> Dan, is, an, so uh, Dan is also a Bon Jovi fan. Yeah, Dan is also a Jovi fan. But Kyle and Frank hate... 
Bon Jovi with a passion. <laughs> well, nobody's perfect. <laughs> but yeah, you but already whole, mentioned this whole album. It's so cool. Specifically, you you were talking to me about it, and I need to actually go listen to the full album. Um, Alistair Brimble took the the you know as you were talking about the most famous and best tracks that were on the spectrum mm-hmm. and really highlighted them in a way that's never been done before. And in doing so with this particular title music from RoboCop, he made something special, man. Like, especially when we get to the end of the track. And that's why this is the closeout, because it technically is different and we have played it before. But when you get to the end, and I encourage you to stick around, listen to the full thing. It's it's just magical. But the last little bit, it it, it is just chills, man. It is just perfect. Yeah. I'm looking at it right now. It's called, so the album is called The Spectrum Works. Um, and he has here Kronos by Tim Fallon um, and Beyond the Ice Palace by David Whitaker. So we played both of those tonight and both of those are on this album. Uh, but then other stuff, he's got stuff here by Rob Hubbard, a couple of other, other David Whitaker tracks, some other Tim Fallon tracks. And um, just a, another Did he remix any of his own? It does not look like he did. It looks like he, he specifically covered other people's work. So interesting. So also kind of cool of him. Yeah, I, I, I would because I, I would have been interested interested to hear like him redo something from Dizzy by you know what I mean? Like just yeah, I would not have necessarily as well. what we not not necessarily what we played, but just taking what he had done and making it more modern as well. Mm-hmm. You know yeah, what? I'd be that, curious to hear somebody else do that too. Yeah, like I mean, I'm Jose sure Gonzalez. you can look out there and find. Uh, <laughs> sure, you can look out there and find uh, remixes and covers and stuff of, of Brimble. What's your Jonathan Dunn re- remix something by Alistair Brimble? That'd be cool. That would be that would be really cool. That'd be dope. That'd be freaking dope. What a fun episode! What a cool episode! This was a lot of fun, man. And um, yeah, I can't think of a better way to close this out than than this track. It's it's going to be something special. Stick around for the whole thing, everybody. Absolutely. But um, unfortunately, I think that's going to bring us to the close of the show for this week. We do want to thank you for sticking with us and listening to another episode of BG Mania, made possible, of course, by RPGera.com. If you like video game music, and more importantly, you like us and you want to help grow the show, check the description box for ways you can do just that, including a link to our Patreon, where you can, uh, again, help support us. There will also be links to our Discord server, where you can join our community. There'd be a lot of fun there. And, um, yeah, links to everything. There'll be links to uh, Very Good Music, of EGM podcast. That's on there. Thank I don't think I put much. one for the uh, the movie bar yet. I need to update the description. I need to put one for the movie bar now, too. That's got to be on there. we got to get that on there, too. Go check out the episode. That's available. There's another one coming up uh, soonish, right? Pretty soon, yeah. going to be the end of February. I am... Um... Uh, going to be listening to a few good or watching. <laughs> so used to listening to stuff for podcasts. Going to be watching a few good men here sometime this week, and then hoping to record with the dyad next weekend. So we will see looking how that goes. To it. Looking forward to it. The first episode was great. Yeah, looking forward to we'll it. We'll see if we can handle the truth. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. Oh, but again, taking us out of this episode, we're going to be taking a listen to the title music from RoboCop, released in December of 1988. Again, originally composed by Jonathan Dunn, but this is a more modernly rearranged version by Alistair Brimble. Keep the music playing and keep it loud.